This is Travel Wise, the travel podcast for growth-hungry entrepreneurs. Join us as we explore travel, continuous learning, and the psychology of flow. Ready for takeoff? Ask me why. All right. Welcome, everybody, to 52 Living Ideas. We've got a nice, small, intimate group today and a really good chapter after Worth and I were just talking about after all of the doom and gloom of the first five chapters, we've been on a nice streak of some good chapters. The last one about the transcendent self was still my favorite, but this is another good chapter here all about flow and history today. So should we get started with our typical recap of just what this book is all about? So if you've been joining us for a while, you know, that before this book, we went through Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, MC, as I love to call him. We went through his classic book on flow, flow, the psychology of optimal experience. And this book, The Evolving Self, is a sequel to that book. So it builds on the definition of flow that we know, as it says there on the slide, the state in which people are so involved in an activity that nothing else seems to matter. The experience itself is so enjoyable that people will do it even at great cost. That experience of when you are so absorbed in an activity that action and awareness feel like they merge, time passes strangely, you lose sense of self-consciousness, and there's a really important concept with flow of the challenge skills balance. So it's when your skill matches the difficulty of the task at hand. But let's just dive right now into this chapter, chapter nine, the flow of history. And we're gonna start off with a section that examines flow and the evolution of technology. So a main point here, as it says, is when technology adds to the complexity of experience, it makes sense to endorse it. When it adds to conflict and confusion, it makes sense to resist it. And this was one of those points where you might recall this book even came out back in the 90s, but I feel it has even more relevance to life in our current age where there's more technology than ever in our daily lives, it feels. So some really interesting points here about what makes technology good and how we utilized technology for the good and then manage it to stave off the more negative potentials that technology will have. One of his main points here was to connect technology to flow and connecting technology to enjoyment. And he even has three main ideas here about how technological progress is influenced by enjoyment. Did, did you wanna pick up there, Marissa, and maybe start going over these three? Right. The, you know, what I really like about this is that, you know, enjoyment is something we talked about quite a bit when we went through the concept of flow in the first previous book. So I'm quite pleased to see it come in here because I feel like we're finally threading the concepts together and we're seeing how he's making the connections that he's making. And it's actually a, it's a, it's a um, deceptively very simple concept. What he's telling us is, if it is enjoyable, you will do it more. 
your neighbor will do it more. The neighbor's neighbor will do it more. And because of that, the thing being done will tend to have greater longevity. And how he's applying this to technology is if technology makes our lives easier through enjoyment, it's things that will survive. And um, we're going to speak more about complexity. In fact, I think complexity is really the word of the day. But basically what he's saying, a simple enjoyment is more fleeting than a complex one. So I'm just going to leave you with that for now, because we will speak about that often today. Should we get in just really quickly, um, the three bullet points here about how technology is connected with enjoyment. So first, there's even the ideas of the inventors themselves, the people who create these amazing new technologies. And he points out that they're driven by this sense of enjoyment. I really see here too, there's this real connection between technological progress and intrinsic motivation. That's what he's really getting at when he's talking about enjoyment, that complex enjoyment that Lorenzo was talking about. So the first point is that the inventors themselves have to have that intrinsic motivation, that joy of the creation. Then the second point is that the reason why technologies often succeed is because they have a tendency to open up a range of enjoyable experiences. So when you're not the inventor, but you're the person who is utilizing the user of the technology, that the reason why you're going to be so excited to become an adopter of the new technology is ideally or precisely because it's going to open up a more enjoyable experience for you. And then the last point, he just reflects on the idea that technology frees up our time from drudgery. I think that's the point that maybe even when we think about 20th century technologies and what they did to create more time freedom so that we could have you know, more experiences of enjoyment in our lives. So just a few more uh, ideas here about flow and the evolution of technology. Um, and this is when we kind of get into the flip side of thinking about, so technology obviously brings a whole bunch of advantages, benefits to all of us, but we do have to be aware and cautious and know that not every discovery is necessarily always 100% a benefit or a good thing. To me, this is even the, the idea that's captured in what progress is all about, that every time you make a technological advancement, it's going to bring along its own problems. So then you've got to further iterate on that. And it's the concept that I think we now understand even better than he did in the, in the 90s of how you have the new technology, and then you have the 2.0 version, and the 3.0 version, and the 4.0 version, that technology requires all of these different iterations because we have to continuously make whatever the new technological product is better and better to prevent against any of the downsides that come along with that technology. Any points here you, you wanted to make sure we cover too, Marissa? Just that this is the, um, you know, like you, I think you said it perfectly, the, reverse situation of, you know, that which is um, complex is more enduring, but that's the opposite on 
you know, a negative side, because if it's easier, it's going to be more mutation friendly, as it were. Um, and I like that he does a good job of, um, he does a good job of um, giving us the cautionary tales here for um, going forward when we're considering flow. One point I'll make here too that I thought was just really prescient for what we've experienced now in the 2020s is this point, uh, you have the bullet point here that says in the long run, there is no protection against information overload except the person's own control over psychic energy. And I think that is certainly more true nowadays than it was back in the 1990s when he was writing this, just how much information we have available at our fingertips and how much overload is out there. And then stressing this point that the protection and the cure against this is precisely control over psychic energy. And that's what we're gonna be talking about with flow. This is point about what generates flow and what flow is all about is having that control over our attention, over our psychic energy. And then, and to this day, it, it's more important than ever, I believe, <laughs> that we take control over our psychic energy with everything that wants to command our attention. Um, what the way you say that there, it makes me think of the internet. You know how mm -hmm. uh, people caution, be careful what you put on your digital footprints, what you put in the internet, because it's very, very hard to remove it. You know, like um, children, young children will put a picture up that they don't like, and then it's near impossible to erase it entirely. That's kind of what this last bullet here is cautioning us. Make sure that you can live with this before you pick it up, because it may be near impossible to get rid of it down the line. So now we're really getting into the meat of the chapter, which is thinking about flow and historical change. So the main point here, when people enjoy a complex activity, again, complexity, our keyword of the day, when people enjoy a complex activity, they may develop harmonious selves that make them attractive leaders to the disoriented majority. When this happens, the activity that made flow possible tends to be widely adopted and institutionalized from a peripheral game it turns into a cornerstone of society. So this is how we're seeing how these technologies that develop in flow in a state of enjoyment then can become institutionalized. And here again, he's gonna caution us against the downside of this, what can happen when this you know, flowing activity becomes something rigid. So to me, this whole part of the chapter in my mind, connected perfectly with what we were discussing at length when we did our whole series here with 52 Living Ideas on Louis Sullivan and his idea of form follows function. And he's talked so much about how we really need to focus on the functions to continuously be creating new forms that will correspond with those functions and the dangers that happen when the forms just become rigid dogmas. You know, why we always need to like tap back in to the function. And this is just putting that same idea, I believe now with the context of flow. MC is kind of seeing how this concept of function is related to the concept of flow and challenging all of us to make sure that we stay in flow and don't just fall prey to 
the old dead forts. For me, a very poignant um, line here that really gave me pause, and every time I read it, it, it still gives me pause, is this last bullet here where he says, eternal vigilance may be the price of freedom. As soon as vigilance is relaxed, the parasites move in. And, you know, I, I pondered that quite a bit. And, and what I was thinking was, I wonder if we are required to accept a certain amount of parasite for that balance, to find that balance so that, you know, you can be vigilant, but not so vigilant that you're unable to enter into flow. Because, um, you know, constant worry is a barrier to flow state. So I don't know. I don't have the answer there, but that was just this line to me. Every time I look at it, it just, it seems like it's very heavy. So in my mind, I think it's even useful just having that reminder. Just I'm, I'm thinking for me personally, even just the Louis Sullivan line, form follows function. That's just become such a maxim in my life. And just having that there in the background in my mind, just knowing like, oh yeah, you always have to go back to the function to just remember that. To me, at least that's been helpful to make sure. Like, it's not vigilance in terms of like, you know, a metaphor of like, you know, constantly being at the watchtower and always on guard, but just to, you know, always cycle back to being, you know, connecting with, with the function and making sure that you're not just falling into the old dead rigidified forms. I like that, that's a great way to put it. So now we're gonna shift gears and we have a whole long section here thinking about the good society and what makes up a good society. As he points out here, the main point, a good society is one that helps each individual develop his or her genetic potential to its fullest. It provides opportunities for action to everyone. So one concept that he explores here, he's inspired, I think, even by what was good about the French Revolution, as much as that perhaps historic event went off the rails, he wanted to point out that these concepts of freedom, equality, and brotherhood provide a kind of good summary for essential elements of the kind of complex society that does let each individual develop to their potential. So I'm going to just really quickly here, you know, since our freedom is, uh, you know, one of the ways differentiation is manifested. So we had talked in a previous chapter of how we need both differentiation and integration. So freedom is there because it what, is what allows us to be individuals, what allows us to be differentiated. It's what allows us to have our goals, develop the skills and the talents and interests that we have as individuals and, and take the actions that make us more and more complex as unique individuals. So there's freedom, but then we also need brotherhood. Uh, you probably now we say even more like brotherhood, sisterhood, humanhood, but just the idea of societyhood perhaps, just everybody coming together, the integration, points here, the integration that is the counterweight to the differentiation. We need both. We need both the social order and the individuality. And then pointing out here that equality, as he says here, stands in between freedom and brotherhood as the link that connects the two principles. 
Do you have some more thoughts about this, this part of the Good Society, the summary of it? I like the idea of there being essential elements. I think that we don't spend a lot of time um, thinking of what makes a society. So I like that he takes a little bit of time and he's not just speaking of a society, he's speaking of a complex one. And the assumption here is this is the type of society in which we would like to find ourselves. This is the type of society where we are going to have better and greater opportunities for entering into flow state individually and collectively. That's what I see here when he points out, you know, this complex society. So I like that he says it that way. And um, the invitation to consider that, you know, there's pieces that will make this up. And so he gives us some guideposts, as it were, before we move forward. And like he says, you know, these are elements that make, in his mind, good, right? He's using complex society. That's the desirous society that we want. And then you'll see, we're going to march forward with other things, aspects of, and he's not in this one. I just want to point out that we're discussing here a theoretical, almost utopia. He's telling us about this is what a good society looks like. He's not really telling us that this is what you do. That comes after. Just wanted to point that out. For now, we're really turning around from many angles what makes or a good study. Like what does it look like? I know we've got more slides on this one because this, this was a, the longest section, perhaps was the most complex section of this uh, chapter, which was all about complexity. Um, so again, you know, we're, we're exploring this idea that what the good society requires is both the individual and the group and the integration of that. We need each person to be free to develop the self to the, the utmost level of their own potential um, and not curtail another person's freedom to do so. But then in addition to all the differentiation, we need the integration beyond just the needs of the individual human thinking about humanity as a whole. Like one of the quotes I, I loved here was that uh, where he says, it has to be a system that recognizes the laws of nature as well as the laws of men. And, and what I hear him saying here is that part of the laws of nature is recognizing that as humans, we're both, it's that uh, Jacob Bronowski quote that we, we talk about a lot here in 52 Living Ideas about the social solitary, that idea. We have both our social nature and our solitary nature those are the laws of nature that we really need to take into consideration when we're building the good society. That is um, very well stated. Um, I, I Did you want to say a little bit more about complexity here too, or well, next the slide? Think here about, I'm sure I'll, I'll chat, mm -hmm. I just want to chat more about complexity. Mm -hmm. I really, I like here the idea of synergy is brought up you know mm, he says mm -hmm. complexity requires the synergy of these dialectically opposed forces a gain in only one is likely to promote confusion and chaos and the, the thing about this is that you know our life is all about balance we're at almost every aspect where there's the the push and pull that of everything is a dance so i really like that he's saying yet again here. And it's it's the same as um, 
you know, learning. When you are, when one is seeking knowledge, if you keep going up in knowledge without pausing to ensure there's understanding, you're too high without enough width. So you have to periodically pause, widen, and then go up. And that's the balance. That's what I'm hearing him tell us here. And it also brings to mind the skills versus challenges graph that we do so love to point out to you. The sweet spot between skills and challenges is how you find yourself in the flow channel, flow state, that forward movement path, forward moving path, path sorry, is that sweet spot between those two. And the way to get into those is to go up and over. So you're constantly shifting. So again, if we're thinking knowledge versus understanding, only knowledge, you're going to topple over because you don't have enough girth. You need to go a little up, go a little wide. And he's telling us that here. And so if we look at it from a, a matter of um, complexity, you also don't want to shoot too complex, too fast without finding you know, the right complements for your society because you may put too much strain on it. And um, you know, it's, we, we've spoken about this before and actually just before um, we started today, I told um, Joya, you guys are used to me perpetually speaking about how the path to, or I, my belief, you know, the path to a good community. And he uses here, you know, that complex um, society which I, I really rather like. I may have to restructure my verbiage here in the future. Complex society, it starts with the individual. Find your individual core, make it shine brighter, hold tight, and then move forward. And everybody doing that is going to create that more complex society because the, the best path towards building increased complexity within a society is to have increasingly complex individuals that make up that society. I think that was beautifully stated. What we've been focusing on in previous chapters and even the whole other book, the whole flow book, was exploring the idea of what the main benefit that flow gives us is the development of more complex cells. And so now I see that he's finally taking that idea and saying, okay, now that we've developed these complex cells, how do we develop a complex society? that is that good society that benefits humanity. And then we still have a few more bullet points for this section about the good society. It was definitely the most complex section of the chapter here <laughs> was the one about the good society. Um, so, so even just, I think, you know, again, we have you know, the, the differentiation and the integration of these first couple bullets here. As he points out, uh, you know, a good society is one that encourages the individuals to realize their potential and permits complexity to involve. It provides room for growth. And it says the task of the good society is not to enshrine the creative solutions of the past into permanent institutions, but to make possible creativity to keep asserting itself. So I think these are you know, the main ideas that we've been talking about here kind of having both that focus on the differentiation and integration, the individual and the society, and then also having that focus on the creativity, on the function over the form, on continuously renewing that creative function so that we don't just get stuck with stagnating forms.
feel like the first bullet here in this page kind of says the same thing I was saying, but in a much simpler way. You know, I, I really like the, um, again, it's that idea of strong individual. That's the path towards a strong and complex society. So after the long section about what the good society is, we have a shorter section here that talks about creating a good society. So the major point here, he points out, the most satisfying way to actualize the self is by building that most complex system, a good society. No one has a simple solution that can be followed step-by-step step to a satisfying conclusion. But this does not mean that any speculation about what makes a good society is pointless. Um, and I like this, this kind of bottom point here, where it says the most exhilarating aspect of our evolution, where the record of progress is clearest, are those in which we have increased our ability to discover what is happening around us and to understand at least some of the laws of nature that underlie um, the news that we have gathered. So there's this idea here that, you know, no one person is going to figure out the one simple solution that's going to make the good society. But it requires all of us to continuously work on this point. And it's one of those goals where you never really reach the goal, but just the continuous activity of striving toward the goal is what gives us the activity of a good life. Life itself is an activity. Flow itself is a kind of activity. And this is what gives us that good activity. That, that's what I get of what he's, he's saying here. I mean, he, spent, he does spend time here talking about um, different, um, you know, philosophers that may have argued for similar, similarly vain thoughts. Um, but usually, you know, we, we don't usually include his um, anecdotal things here in the, um, in the graphs. But I do, you know, I like the, you know, the, the idea here that we should, so, he brings up that uh, the creation of it is something that it should remain in the realm of our human consciousness constantly. We should always be wondering, how can this be done? We should always be asking the question. We should always be listening to other people's commentary on it. Um, and. But the, the funny thing, maybe not funny, but that's the word that came to mind is that he, he does make sure to let us know that we should do so with mind to the fact that the, the answer does not yet exist and uh, that that's okay, that we should forgive ourselves, we should forgive society for not having the answer and that there is value in constantly asking the question. And I think, so this is not explicitly stated, but I suspect what he's getting at is that the way to potentially develop the answer or a piece of the answer or the beginnings of an answer is through this constant searching dialogue, asking the question. Honestly, it even reminds me of what 
Srikant has created here with 52 Living Ideas, the project that we're all involved in here. It's never that we show up at one of these meetings and we spend an hour or two and we suddenly get all of the answers. It's precisely the activity of continuing to return and keep on asking these questions, keep on asking them in different ways, keep on always trying to tweak it. Like just think of the way that Chikan is always taking his diagrams and modifying them and changing them and experimenting here and continuously trying to make it better. And the, the very activity of doing that, look at the good society that we've created, the good virtual society that we've created just with this community. Absolutely, yes, that's a great point. Finally, we're going to get into the last section, another in-depth section, which probably could have been a chapter unto itself, which is where we're going to think about what education has to do with flow and creating the good society. How do you educate for the good society? The major point here, if we wish to have a society in which freedom coexists with responsibility, we must ensure that the environment in which young people grow up provides complex experiences. To me, I thought this was just a, a lot just clicked in my mind in this section. Uh, I thought a lot about, Ritz was already talking about how you know, everything in life requires a kind of balance and integration. One of those main ones that definitely comes up for me over and over again is thinking about freedom and responsibility. We haven't yet talked too much about uh, responsibility yet today, but that was definitely one of the points that MC was making throughout this chapter a recognition that he has that when you have all the benefits that come with freedom, it also requires the balance of having responsibility as well. And then what just you know, triggered so many light bulbs here in connections was then connecting this idea of freedom and responsibility with complexity. Um, you know, and it says here like the very first bullet point that education takes place in the whole community and a complex social system requires complex cells. It's goes here again, complex cells usually thrive in complex systems. This circularity makes it possible to achieve progress um, you know, one small step at a time. Any increase in complexity at the personal level can be translated into a societal improvement and vice versa. So th this was what I just thought was maybe even the most fascinating part of the whole chapter for me was connecting freedom and responsibility with complexity as both you know, growing complex selves and growing a complex society and the synergy of all of that. So um, what's not on here, a little bit of background is that um, MC shines a spotlight for us on the fact that in today's world, and he's talking our world, you know, in the 90s, He's saying that um, uh, the that education has been narrowly conceived of as merely book learning or the transit transmission of abstract information, and he goes on to tell us that you know back with our ancestors, information was an active transmission, and information most information that was passed on through generations was very um, much necessary to the day-to-day -day living for each individual. Um, you know, and he, he brought up the idea, you know, the, the African proverb, 
it takes a whole village to educate a child. And he's telling us this has been forgotten. And really that's what the next few, um, you know, that's what the next couple of slides are saying in this entire section of the chapter is telling us that now schools are just churning out book learning and students are separated from understanding. And I, I used with I used knowledge versus understanding earlier. And this shines more spotlight on it for you. What he's telling us is that if you give somebody abstract information and they cannot connect with it in a way where it makes sense to them or seems necessary to them, it will be lost. And so how can we increase the complexity of our society when we're creating society members who have a distinct lack of interest in those things that we, we hold to be important for evolutionary processes? And so, you know, it's, and he, he says here, there's this great quote. There actually were so many great quotes in this section. I just couldn't put them all in the slides, obviously. But he tells us, no matter how important an idea, if it is presented in a boring way, children will tune away their attention from it. So if the children are meant to be the complex individuals that will propel our society into greater complexity and into a brighter evolutionary future, do we not owe it to them? to provide them with learning that captures their attention, holds it, and kind of siphons things into it. Um, you know, I believe that's the, that's the, um, it, that's the, the takeaway here. And he also speaks not just about the book learning. On the flip side, he also tells us here, before he gets into some of these bullets that we're sharing with you on this first um, slide for this section, he also says that, oh, so A, if it's boring and it's abstract, they have zero interest, they're not going to get it. And B, it's kind of one of those practice what you preach type of scenarios. You know how people, you know, there's a joke where some parents will say, do as I say, not as I do. That sounds great and it's funny. It's a funny laugh. But if we have too many individuals who are actually living that, that's the future individual you're creating. Because you can say that's all you want, but what the child is going to remember is not what you said, it's what you did. And so what will happen is that if you are acting in a corrupt manner, the child will remember the correct way and not the correct way just because you said to them, this is the way you should do it. I'm gonna do it this other way, but you should do it this way. They're never gonna remember that conversation. They're gonna remember the action. So he's telling us these are flaws in society today. If the goal is this quote unquote good society, which he actually doesn't call good, in general, he calls it complex society, which I love, by the way, because you know, good is such a subjective term. He's saying increased complexity requires 
a moving away of these scenarios that are so prevalent in our life today. Move us on to our next slide. Yeah. More good points here about education and the good society. And even another main point here, which says here, uh, life in the universe is interdependent. And as we as society should be creating new educational curriculum that will make each child aware of this fact. So again, to just piggyback onto what Marissa was just saying, that he doesn't talk about the good society, he talks about the complex society. And it is in fact an interdependent society. And that what we need from education is to make sure that every child and young adult is aware of that as the nature of the universe and as the goal to grow these complex selves and these complex societies. And the important thing here for this major point is the word interdependent. It's another stop and ponder kind of word. You know, the it's we've we've said it before in different um, discussions and dialogues we've had together. And, and I believe also even earlier in this book we've said it. And here, what we're saying again is it, it is important for us to remember everything we touch touches someone and, some, and or something else. Even those of us who consider ourselves super independent, we're not. I mean, we are to a degree from one perspective. But remember that the universe is full of various perspectives. From a different perspective, we are super dependent, for and, and I've used this example before and I will use it again, just because I, I believe it bears repeating. Those of us who enjoy the pleasures of a first world country, we never have to think about, you know, whether or not our toilet is going to flush. If you live in a city, that's all done for you. Public sewer, you don't have to think about it, right? Somebody in rural has to think about it a little bit more because they have to worry about septic and the issues that come with that. Still, it is a technology that has made, you know, disposal of human waste far easier and divorced from our main consciousness. But also, now you're dependent upon someone or something else to clear away the waste for you. It's not like, you know, you don't have a latrine where you're going to go and shovel. And as long as you keep the dirt down, it's good. And, and that's a, maybe that's a slightly odd um um, example, but it, it does point out the an aspect that we don't usually think of where we are dependent. And it's it's not a bad thing. It's just, again, we are made up of so many different perspectives and, and it does bear consideration. And I really do like the reminder of that. You know, and there's also the, the reminder that we stand on the shoulders of our ancestors. So whatever they did correctly is what has propelled us into the complex society we, we have today. You know, whoever invented the aqueducts and all the, some of the technologies that we have now today, we will be um, having them moving forward. And it's, I think remembering that and the fact that there's so many facets to um, an individual, to a society, it, it 
creates the growing space for this radical vision that he talks about in the second bullet, you know? Um, I really, I, and this, this one's one of my favorites. He says, this radical vision hinges on the insight that true education involves growing to appreciate the direct links that exist between actions and consequences. Now, full disclosure, I myself do not have any children. I do not bear the title of mother. I have various nieces and nephews that I have helped rear in our community, you know, my family community. Um, but I, I do get on a soapbox and I often say the problem with kids today, you know, like I'm old enough to say that. And I, I say that the problem is that we're divorced from consequences. You know, I, I have bemoaned the fact that I'm not convinced children are properly, properly being taught that for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction consequence. And a fascinating thing in this section that MC says, I love that he uses the physics. He uses that exact example. He says, you know, you're taught in physics that, you know, every, um, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. And then he goes on to say, but we're not taught that in economics. We're not taught that in social studies. We're not taught that in history. Um, and we should be. Which is pretty fascinating if you think about it. I love how you were able to take the final part of the chapter here and totally connect it back to the first part of the chapter. The whole point about thinking of what technology does for us as a society, how if it does perhaps give us all of the freedom and the enjoyment so we don't have to spend our time thinking about things like how do we dispose of our human waste, that it simultaneously makes us more interdependent on the society of the people who have created those systems and need to maintain those systems and need to continuously improve upon those systems. And then the secondary point that you're making as well, that what education needs to do is to make sure that we are all aware of that fact, that we don't just sort of live in a bubble where we think that you know, waste just disappears, that we need to think with gratitude about the creators that made these systems possible and to be creators ourselves, to be in that process of thinking about how can we even improve on indoor plumbing as we get more and more people on this planet, let's say, or as we start to uh, you know, evolve out into further planets. So just making sure that that's part of our educational system. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so yeah, it, I, I feel like we barely scratched on the concept of the importance of education, but um, that's that's his his take there for us. Um, those are the bullets we've presented you guys here with today. I'm gonna Joya. Shall I move us forward to the um, the quotes? The quotes. All right. So here, Marissa, I think just a beautiful job of collecting some of the really important quotes. And we're even gonna use this as our springboard for the question that we want to ask all of you. Um, but Marissa, I'm thinking, do you think maybe we should, at this point, maybe see if anybody um, in the group has any questions that we can take your questions first? And then I think we're small enough that we probably don't even need to do breakout rooms. We probably need to take questions I, and then I just ask the question and have a discussion. I agree. Let me um 
I'd like to read these um, quotes because I really think mm -hmm. that they are important. I'll read them through and then what we'll do is we'll unlock the, um, the unmute. And um, what we do is we ask folks to um, type in an exclamation in the chat or raise your hand electronically if you would like to um, post a comment or question. Um, so um, we will be doing that in just a minute. Thank you for those of you who had a question early on. Thank you for your patience. Hopefully you find it was worth the wait and we do look forward to hearing your comments. Um, just bear with me a few more minutes. I'm going to um, read these here for you. If one looks more closely at what it means for complexity to evolve, it soon becomes clear that the process that takes shape I'm sorry, it soon becomes clear that the process takes shape, not so much in individual persons as in the context of information that envelops them, the culture in which they exist. And culture is just another word for complex society. A few isolated transcenders cannot pull all of humanity in the direction of complexity. When individuals strive towards increased complexity for their own selves, that will what will survive and grow is the pattern of information that we have shaped through our existence. The acts of love, the beliefs, the knowledge, the skills, the insights that we have had and that have affected the course of events around us. No matter how smart, wise, or altruistic a person might be, he or she is not going to contribute to evolution except by leaving traces of complexity in the culture, by serving as an example to others, by changing customs, beliefs, or knowledge in such a way that they can be passed down to future generations. It is through means transmitted by social systems that we contribute to evolution. And honestly, this last line to me sums up the entire book. There's one more chapter, but yes. All right, so, so we're gonna go ahead and open it up uh, to questions. Again, uh, you can type exclamation point in the chat. Um, there's also the raise hand function if you want to ask any questions. Um, I see Chris up um, first. Go ahead, Chris, welcome. Hello, yeah, thanks for the presentation. So um, I guess I, I do appreciate the overall gist of the book, which I think is, is positive and uh, you know progressive, but I just don't know that, you know, uh, you can make a, not you, but like the author can make a declared statement that um, everything is interdependent in the way that it intended. So for example, you know, if I choose uh, to live in a very concentrated uh, area where specialization is prized, that absolutely, I'm positively, you know, dependent on others, right? I think that was a dependency that you were referring to. Um, 
where if I choose to live like, you know, in the forest uh, or in the mountains or, you know, in a remote farm, um, I might have some, some dependency, but it's fairly minimal. Um, now, if we're talking about uh, potential risk dependency, like, you know, like my life is dependent on some, some people not launching like, you know, uh, bombs onto my area where I, I live in a very remote area, right? Or they choose to pollute uh, in a very uh, great fashion, which I have no control over, and that impacts my life. That I agree with, you know, what I call, you know, exigency kind of dependency. But in terms of like dependency that I choose, kind of like you, you're talking about, you know, having a hospital system, a school system, garbage collecting things. I think those things, we have some agency, you know, in, in that participation, you can choose to participate and not participate. Therefore, we couldn't really say everything is dependent and we have to, you know, roll in the same direction. Um, it would be great everybody volunteer to roll in the same direction. So but, but I think people do have the choice they choose not to. If, so that, that's the only thing I, I have issue so with that. I, I, hear, I hear what you're saying. And, and if one is looking at it, in the manner that you are, I, I see your point. As I understand it, what the author is looking at it, he's not looking at your, he's not looking at the modern trappings of a superficial society. What he's looking at and asking us to look at is the dependency from a deeper evolutionary perspective. Because remember, what we're looking at here is the evolving self, right? So what comprises our ability to evolve and grow as individuals, as a society? What I understand him to be alluding to when he uses this concept of how we are all interdependent Maybe, and I apologize because perhaps my example was a poor example because it was too literal. What he means is the example of, for example, you cannot separate yourself. Even if you go to the most rural region in the world, you cannot separate yourself from your ancestors. The, those who walked before you reside in some way within you. You owe the you that you are in some small piece to them. I believe that's what he means here. He extrapolates it to ever increasing spheres of, the, of dependency. But like you said, some of the dependencies are certainly ones that we can choose to avoid and or to eschew. But I think what he's reminding us or asking us to remember is that at some point there are dependencies that we cannot avoid. And we, as human beings, we are not solitary creatures. We are a communal. I, I, I understand your point. And if we explain it that way, I, I think even the strongest uh, skeptic will agree, right? That we, we can all relate back to a single bacteria like a billion years ago. And, but I don't know, we will, I don't know if that will really make his point in terms of the education system stronger. I think the way you explain it actually makes that point much stronger is that because we choose, you know, we just don't realize that we're dependent, right? 
because you know, like just because I make really good shoes, I bake really good bread, I don't understand that. You know, when I go buy other products, right? That's not like just a manna from the heaven. There's somebody else doing that. That's the interdependency. Um, yeah. So I think accepting that, you know, living in a in a popular area, I think that's perfectly uh, fine and straight. Um, tracing it all the way back to like, you know, uh, when we're all like um, coming from the same, uh, you know, organism, I'm not sure that will, if you recognize it, I don't know if that will really help or defeat the point either way. It just, of course, um, but uh, how we behave is, so, you know, you know that, that comes to the, I'm going to stop because I talked too long, but I'm going to stop on the, the one point, right, where he he does make this hypostulation, or I, at least I read him as though, that progress is made by society as a whole, uh, where I would say that if we go by anecdotal evidence, right, I'm not an anthropologist, but we'll see a lot of the great discoveries that we have are actually done by a few individuals, not exactly on the research from everybody, actually they were doing it against the will and the the trend of the society, right? Either at that at his or her time, or even hundreds of years before their time, for many many hundred years, um, and that's where the progress comes from. Um, and if we think about any large projects that we go forward, it's very difficult to get social consensus in terms of that we all agree to build the pyramids we all agree to build the aqueducts or the great walls is normally, these are not really great examples, right? Because they're down through tyranny, but it's usually like a few individuals against the will of the whole, right? It says, I think this would be a great thing, you know, a hundred years from now, so I'm going to build it. But in the meantime, it's, it's going to take murdering half of you to get this done. Um, so, and then that happened in science as well and in art. Um, so I don't know that's really true that this interdependency works out in the progress. It, it just, you know, if, if uh, may, it seems that history goes against it. Anyway, stop. No, no worries. I, I'm actually, I'm very grateful to you for bringing that up. Um, I, I am, I have had the thoughts. So, and I'm going to share with you how I have understood what MC is telling us here and why I don't find that to be a conflict. conflict. So while it is true that it is usually an individual who is making it a, um, a new innovative thing. We have to remember what he's, what, remember that he's saying this last line here on, this, on the screen still, it is through memes transmitted by social systems that we contribute to evolution. So here's the thing, if I create this amazing innovative widget A and you Chris create this amazing widget B, I created it, but then I go into my house and hide for the next 20 years and then I die. You create yours, but you go and you show it to everybody you see and you convince people to start using it and it gets out there. It's not about, so the reason that that innovation, which it be, becomes part of the betterment of people in the future and it's remembered 100 years from now, it's not remembered because Chris created it. It's remembered because other people picked it up and ran with it. And if you think about it, 
Think about all those great inventions. And even, come on, electricity. <laughs> it's the, the best thing. Why do we use DC versus AC, guys? It's not because it's better. It's because it was the stickier meme. And that's the point he's making. It's not to denigrate individuals because remember, we need strong individuals because it's only through strong individuals, innovative individuals, that any society has any hope of any type of progress. You need them, but they're not, they alone cannot push through the society to better things. I think yeah, I had to, that's one of the things, I just wanted to add really quickly, like one of the things that I, I hear him saying too, that so, so the purpose of even the whole book here, especially the second half of the book that we're in now is he's asking us to think about what drives forward evolution and how we even as individuals can start to take control of evolution. One of the things I hear him saying is that, you know, perhaps it has been the case that it's been these select few individuals that developed complex cells and were able then thus to be the inventors and the creators and the people who have propelled society forward and, and been the drivers of evolution. On the one hand, I hear him even putting out a call for more people to be complex individuals, for more people to develop themselves into the kind of person who can drive forward evolution. And then combining that with the idea that what will even accelerate that process is precisely when we have more and more of these complex individuals who are then working together to, to, to make that evolution happen at an even faster pace and at a greater scale. And the important thing of what Marissa is saying is that it really does depend on connecting with other people and precisely with connecting with future generations. The way I think about it is we can think of the extreme kinds of individuals, the monk out in the cave or the bush person who is totally living off the grid. And even if that one individual, I mean, one point to even make, I mean, I think Chris, you were already saying this as well, that you know, you can't even do that until you reach a certain level of maturity. You know, none of us can just be born and, you know, at, you know, right out of the womb, suddenly go off on our own. So, you know, first there even has to be a kind of, uh, you know, learning that you've had to have had just to even reach a state of maturity that you can even be that kind of extreme individual. But then even if you go live that kind of lifestyle, if you never pass that along, if you never share that with anyone else, if it doesn't spread to other people or to future generations, then as Moritz pointing out here, then that meme is going to die with you and that evolution is not going to happen that way. But, but I even see MC's emphasis more on stressing that the way in which we'll make evolution happen better, faster, greater, grander is precisely by this spiral of developing both the complex selves and the complex societies. So that's what is really going to be the driver of a really abundant evolution. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I see the point. I, I, I just, I just think that complex, I actually think, you know, um, from a practical point of view, I mean, interdependence is probably the better if you force interdependence, that's probably the better way of, um, you know, having a more peaceful coexistence than just complexity. You know, you can drive toward complexity uh, and, and still have 
uh, you know, significant uh, social issues going forward. Because you, I'm so sorry to interrupt, Chris. I'm sorry. Can you repeat yeah. that line you said again? If you, if you force what again? Oh, I, I think I think if you if you you know you know through either you know political governors or social engineering, you force uh, a interdependence between uh, you know tribes and culture groups uh, and uh, nations uh, and geographies. Uh, that's probably the best way of guaranteeing, you know, peace and peaceful coexistence. Because everybody is so linked that even if I don't like you, I can't just go off and kill you because I'll lose so much stuff. You know, um, I, I, I think the practical thing you know, uh, and that's actually what what Europe tried to do with Russia. You know, by by having such a closely linked energy policy, they just couldn't, they couldn't do it fast enough. You know, they they were almost like seventy percent done. But then, you know, um, it has to be completely linked for people to um, for people to not think about resorting to something a little more uh, barbarian. Uh, but I think from progress point of view, I just I just think the time. You know, two quick examples, right? One is the hand washing. Right. I mean, I, I always think the tragedies. Right. So, so this British doctor found out that the reasons that the infant mortality, especially the mortality of the of the mother giving birth was so high was because doctors don't wash their hands. And then when they go from patient to patient. So when the when the woman goes to the hospital, their death rate was like 300 percent higher than if they actually delivered without a doctor at home. Right. And this happened for hundreds of years. Uh, and in fact, woman was like begging not to go to the hospital because that's like a, like a death sentence. Uh, and he had this research. I mean, he gathered a tremendous amount of uh, data, uh, pretty hard to do without computers. I mean, he was just doing it by hands and he had thousands of cases and he prevent, presented to that Royal Society in England. They laugh at him, right? And then they, they, he tried to do that content in Europe. They laugh at him because all the doctors, they think this is, this is now because they have an accepted point of view, right? And he died, like you know, like kind of in shame and, and infamy. Uh, and this practice wasn't adapted until I think like eighty years after he died. So literally took. It, so I think a lot of times um, it's true that for him to make that discovery, he will need the examples of people dying and the behavior of these people to drive to the people down. So I agree with that. That he's the, for him to come to that realization. He's dependent on other people and the environment to to get that research, um, but I definitely don't see him him any help. You know, he was pretty much alone, right? Um, I, I can give example of this in, in music. You know, like uh, people like Schubert, as uh, <laughs> well. He does do the composing and a different way of composing uh, that really people really didn't like in his time. So um, I, I just I just think that. Um, the individual, the few individuals who have really, really different ideas, who nobody likes their ideas at a time, can definitely contribute significantly to the direction of progress and complexity. Uh, I don't know if they can say one person can pull a billion people ahead, but in that specific area that nobody supports, they probably can pull the whole humanity ahead just in that specific area because nobody is with them, right? think about Copernicus, right? I mean, like, so, you know, basically before he wrote the book, he was one of the highest esteemed uh, person uh, in the church. And after he wrote the book, even though he didn't even publish it, they lock him up, right? For the rest of his life. 
So, so it's, it's tough. Yeah. No, I'm just going to just cut you off, but just to like, yeah, make sure yeah, we, we keep the, the conversation going. But I love the examples you're bringing up. And I think the key word here, even in this, this quote about a few isolated transcenders cannot pull all of humanity in the direction of complexity is precisely this word isolated. Because exactly what you're pointing out, that you know, perhaps it took a few of these individuals who had the courage, the ingenuity, the drive and the determination to stand up against society, to really you know, push forward with an idea, even when everyone was shouting them down. But all of these, these examples, you know, who, who I, you know, I, I don't know the, the individual who, you know, finally figured out you know, the germ theory of, you know, the handwashing um, or Schubert or Copernicus. But the whole point, right, is that they weren't isolated transcenders, that at some point somebody had to take those ideas and spread those ideas, those memes to others. And it's only precisely because those memes got spread to other people, passed on to society and passed on to future generations that we as the inheritor generations now in the 2020s uh, you know, still have those ideas. And we know names like Copernicus and names like Schubert because these transcenders weren't isolated because they didn't just you know, go off alone into the desert or into the wilderness. And, you know, Schubert didn't die and take his music with him. He passed it on to other people. So I think, you know, I don't think MC is disagreeing with you here at this point. I think he's really just trying to make the connection that we need both really strong, complex individuals. And then we need those individuals to also integrate into society as well. And that that's what's really going to push evolution forward the most. Great point. Um, I would like to, um, I'm gonna do something we don't usually do. I would like to invite um, Tucker, if he wanted to speak up to make a comment or a question, because I, I did notice that your hand was up early on in the presentation. So I would love to hear your thoughts if you still wanted to share them. Hopefully we didn't bore Tucker and he just fell asleep oh, no. <laughs> through our presentation. I hope not. Welcome, Tucker. Okay, um, well, then I will repeat the invite to anyone who wishes. Um, go ahead and uh, raise your hand uh, electronically or type in an exclamation into the chat. I'm going to go on to the next screen because the quote that Joya just read out again, um, we were going to, we were looking to invite you guys to consider this question here. We've already even had a really great discussion that really surrounding this. Right. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> yes. So it's like he he envisioned our. He um, did. He anticipated we... it. Yes. Indeed, that was great. Um, so I, I invite anyone else here, please um, raise your hand or type exclamation to help us and give us your thoughts on this question of the many historic changes taking place at this time. Which ones do you think are leading towards higher complexity? Do you have any thoughts on this one that you wanted to share right off the bat? I'll say I see two big ones that, that I, I that I'm like the Go most excited. So, so the, the two big ones that I see that I'm most excited about in our current moment, one is definitely so to Chris's point of individuals who push us forward, I'm gonna call out Elon Musk and his drive as an individual to push us to become a multi-planetary species, as he always points it, that that drive into space and to bring human existence and, and really just you know, existence you know from and life on earth to other planets and to other solar systems and other galaxies i think we're really on the cusp 
of, uh, you know, taking life from being just an earthbound phenomenon to something out into space. And I think that, that, I mean, just the very nature of that is going to lead us toward higher complexity, uh, you're just spatially <laughs> higher complexity and you know, just making possible just a greater abundance of growth and development, and so much knowledge you know, when we really see what, what is out there to, to explore and discover. So space is really exciting to me. And the other one that's really exciting to me, so, so there's space and the other one is time and specifically time of human life and human longevity. The changes that are taking place in biology and just better understanding we're having of how human beings survive and thrive and function and the way that you know, so many, you know, under, our understanding of genetics and metabolism and all those elements of biology that are gonna give us you know, as individuals so much more time just, I think that abundance of time is just going to lead to higher complexity. So much of everything that we've learned from our ancestors has been rooted in an idea of human beings as going through, you know, childhood and youth, and then, you know, young adulthood, maturity, and then, you know, you're lucky if you make it to 60 or 80. What does it mean if, as a human being, it's normal and natural and common and everyday for human beings to live hundreds, thousands of years, if not more. So space and time, those are the ones that, that are really exciting to me. To me, um, I, I have to point out the, um, the new um, methodology that we have now for creating vaccines. You know, with th this is something that was being um, researched very, you know, slowly and methodically prior to the um, surge of the pandemic of COVID, and it came into, um, you know, great focus, and it was, you know, expedited because of need, but it really is a game changer in the wor world of um, potential vaccinations, and, you know, if, if one just types in the, into the search engine online, you can see new things that they're testing out and new methodologies that they're going to use that as a base for jumpstarting. I think it, it ties in a little bit to longevity and time because it's going to cause, you know, a vaster improvement of our living circumstances because of the way, because of the way in which it'll um, do things. And even for people who have, you know, some type of, um, you know, um, autoimmune um, compromised situations, this is a safer methodology for them for vaccines, because there's no live vaccine, and they're faster to make. So I, I see that as happening today. I don't think we quite yet understand um, how much of a change that's going to bring to us. So I, I see that. And another one is genetic um, sequencing and um, CRISPR. CRISPR is changing the way of it, it's going to lead, change what defines human. I really think that's going to be the case. And, and I'm hoping it's in the direction of higher complexity. I'm choosing to be hopeful about that. So those are my two. What are yours? This is MC's point, right? That, that none of these you know, technologies are just automatically going to be all good. We're, we're talking about and seeing the potentials and the benefits, but I think 
you know, part of just being intelligent human beings is recognizing that all of these potential great advancements come also with their potential downsides and how we do need, as you were pointing out before, Marissa, that vigilance to make sure that you know, we're staying on top of what the pitfalls will be so that we can continuously iterate. Yes, I'm actually, I'm going to read a, um, a line of MCs where he tells us, you know, he says, um, he says, what do good and bad mean in terms of the total effects of a person's actions? Again, this is not a question for which we have an answer. This is a question that we're just asking you to ponder, right? So we are, you know, again, I, I invite you guys, especially, you know, some of you have been here with us throughout all these chapters. Um, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily want to call you out, but um, don't be shy. We're all friends here. Please um, let us know your thoughts here. Thinking our group is shy today, Joya. No okay. takers. Either that or our presentation was so bad we put them all to sleep. You possible. had some really good examples though, too. So maybe you, you took everyone's ideas. Already. Oh no. Or just anything about the chapter you guys want to comment. Um, Arn is fine also. No worries. I'm just gonna read you another quote of MCs. He says, the task of a good society is not to enshrine the creative solutions of the past into permanent institutions. It is rather to make it possible for creativity to keep asserting itself. I really like that. I like that we're supposed to be enablers. I was gonna say, if nobody else has anything to share, I think that's even a beautiful quote to end on and a beautiful reflection to end on. Yes. Us each to think about, you know, and just to tie this back to the conversation we've been having, to have us each think about how can we each be more creative, be the creators that are driving forward evolution to, to Chris's point that it requires these individuals who will have the new ideas, who will take that step to be the ones to come up with something new and maybe even have to stand up against a society that won't understand or will be against your idea how we can each become that kind of person and then you know, connect with others to really drive forward the, the evolution of humanity. Right, so um, I don't know. I think we have, um, I think uh, folks are shy. Anybody want to um, grab the mic again? Maybe while people are thinking, we can share too that we are almost at the end of the book here. This is chapter nine out of a 10 chapter book. So we have just one more chapter, a big finale. And typically we do these meetups every two weeks, but it turns out that both Maritza and I cannot make the two weeks from today, June 22nd. So we will have our grand finale chapter 10 meeting three weeks from today, June 29th. So it gives you three weeks to read that last chapter, to maybe catch up on the book, to think more about what we talked about today, you know, throughout this whole series and come join us for the grand celebration at the end of the book in three weeks, June 29th.
Do you want to read that last quote one more time just to we can all end on that reflection? Absolutely. Wait, because the last one I just read. Um, sorry. I, I turned the page. Where was I looking? Ah, the task of a good society is not to enshrine the creative solutions of the past into permanent, permanent institutions. It is rather to make it possible for creativity to keep asserting itself. This episode may be done, but you can always find more travel ideas and opportunities at Delve Travel. Just visit delvetravel.com. The adventure continues. Ask me why.